and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Rebecca, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and a member of the Dragon Bites team. Today we have part two of our neonatal jaundice podcast hosted by Dr. Mega Jagger with Dr. Olienka Kowabari, consultant neonatologist from Royal Stoke Hospital. If you haven't listened to part one from a couple of weeks ago, we'd recommend you go back to that and rejoin us hereafter. We hope you enjoy. Now, um, as we are still talking about phototherapy, I have heard these these words a lot in my um, career when I'm working on postnatal ward or on neonatal unit, saying, oh, start them on single phototherapy or double phototherapy. What is the meaning of single versus double phototherapy and what is intensified phototherapy? Okay, thank you. So these are um, general parlance words that we have all um, developed as a way of understanding the treatment of jaundice with phototherapy. If you are using a single source of light, that is generally referred to as single phototherapy. If you are using a double source of light, that is generally referred to as double phototherapy. And intensive phototherapy just suggests that you are giving an intensive source of light, whatever that means. NICE actually acknowledges the concept of intensive phototherapy. Um, If you think about the mechanism of treatment using the lights, you want to make sure that you have enough exposure of the skin to as much of the light rays as possible to try to convert the bilirubin into photoisomers that are more water-soluble. So if you have light that is not penetrating the skin well enough, or light that doesn't have the sufficient strength, even though it's penetrating the skin, or is not within the appropriate um, wavelength, then it won't actually work. Also, the more surface area of the baby that you have covered by direct source of light of appropriate wavelength, then the more bilirubin particles, if you will, will be exposed to the process of photoisomerization and therefore more of them will be converted to these more favorable photoisomers. So that's where the concept of using multiple sources of light of the appropriate wavelength comes from. In general, people would consider putting a source of light underneath the baby so that the entirety of the back of the baby is exposed and they would use the blankets for that purpose. Um, And what that also does is that you can maintain some kind of warmth because the baby is not entirely exposed to, you know, cold sources, cold mattresses and things like that. And then people would use another source of light on top of the baby at an appropriate distance, ensuring that you can get the rays directly on baby's skin. What is most important is that baby's skin must be exposed. So take clothes off, take jumpers off, take nappies off, expose as much of the baby's body as possible. If you are going to take nappies off though, you've got to think carefully about the male baby and the gonads and how to protect those. So most places will lift the nappy on so that the gonads can be exposed and can be protected and then they will expose the entirety of the baby's body apart from that area. 
The other thing to consider is the baby's eyes because these are lights of, you know, quite significant wavelength that can cause damage to the eyes. So we must make sure that we protect the eyes by covering them with dark goggles, dark modified um, linen goggles is what most centers use to protect the baby's eyes from the rays of this light. So single phototherapy, one source of light, double phototherapy, two sources of light, intensive phototherapy, you just want to make sure you have enough light with the appropriate wavelength covering as much of the baby's body as you could possibly get covered and this is useful um, in trying to bring the bilirubin level down quite rapidly we use this a lot when the bilirubin level is you know within 50 of what we call the exchange transfusion level essentially the treatment threshold graphs separates the levels of treatment based on the severity of the level of bilirubin. So at a certain threshold, you should start light treatment. At another threshold higher than that, you need to do a lot more. You need to be thinking about doing a double exchange transfusion for that baby. So if you think you are getting close to that level where you need to be thinking about exchange transfusion, you want to do as much as you can to try to bring the jaundice level down really quickly because exchange transfusion in itself is not without its risks. And also, the higher the level of jaundice, the higher the risk of neurotoxicity. So if you think that jaundice level is that high, you want to put as much light as possible to bring the jaundice down. So that is actually quite useful um, um, understanding for using the um, intensive phototherapy approach. Okay, thank you. So we have, I think we have just now covered some side effects of phototherapy and why we need eye care or eye covering and also covering of the male genitalia. Yes. Um, and then if the bilirubin levels are still rising, we have to consider double exchange transfusion. And in the meantime, we should be giving intensified phototherapy covering the most of the surface area as we can cover um, to help bring the bilirubin levels down to prevent neurotoxicity. Yes, that's when correct. When should we repeat the jaundice levels or bilirubin levels while the baby is on phototherapy? Okay. Um, so in general... I think the, the, the consideration should be how high was the jaundice at start? What kind of baby is it? So what's the clinical circumstance of that baby? And what other factors do we think are um, happening? So most babies who are otherwise well, like the scenario that we're discussing, and who've just got a level that is above phototherapy line, um, are you know well above their day one of life and generally have been feeding well, you expect that they will respond to phototherapy appropriately as long as there are no other precipitating factors. And in those kinds of babies, you should in the first instance check the bilirubin again six to eight hours after you have started phototherapy. And then you should let that level guide your subsequent checks. And in general, it is somewhere in the region of 6 to 12 hours. So if you think it is rising, then you need to do it more quickly. 
If you think it is stable, then you could do six to eight hours. Whereas if you think it is dropping quite significantly, then you could actually just do your blood test. It's to 12 hourly. So there is a bit of clinical common sense that is required in that assessment. Whereas if you are dealing with a baby where at the start, the level was so high, you needed to do intensive phototherapy then that's the sort of baby whose jaundice level should be checked within four hours of starting. One, because there might be a background precipitating factor for such a high level of jaundice. And two, because if things are not resolving with your intensive phototherapy, you want to know early so that you want to start planning for your next line of action as soon as possible. I'm just going to mention that there are other side effects of phototherapy that we should be aware of. Um, they are not particularly worrying, but they can be of concern to parents and care, caregivers. Um, one of them is that phototherapy can sometimes cause some skin rash. Um, um, it's quite innocuous. It usually looks a little bit blotchy. Sometimes it's got a bit of purples on it. But in general, you will see that it's in the exposed area of the skin. It is nicely blanching and it doesn't cause the baby any harm and the baby looks well. So that can happen. Sometimes phototherapy also causes loose stools by some unclear mechanism. So it is not unusual to find that um, in a baby who is undergoing phototherapy. And when it's intensive, they tend to have that a little bit more. Um, other side effects we can talk about would be uh, bronze baby syndrome, for instance. Um, bronze baby syndrome is a condition where some of the photoisomers of bilirubin following phototherapy um, make the skin look sort of brownish grayish. They can change the color of the hair as well can stain the hair and they can also be in the urine so the urine can just look a little bit browner than usual and um, it's the photoisomers of bilirubin that cause that but they are more common when there is some liver dysfunction as well um, it's not common at all, the condition, but it is something to be aware of that can happen in babies that are having phototherapy. So going back to um, treating with um, other, other forms of, of treatment when you've reached you know, levels that are much higher than the phototherapy level, it's important that we check the jaundice levels, the phototherapy levels with blood tests at this point. So a baby who's already started phototherapy, we don't do the transcutaneous monitoring for them anymore. We do blood testing because we need accurate and reliable numbers at this point. Okay, thank you. Um, say if the jaundice levels are rising, and I think we have briefly touched on that. Um, if the jaundice levels or if the bilirubin levels continue to rise despite the phototherapy treatment and they are now above the exchange transfusion line, the second line on the treatment threshold graph, um, that is an indication for um, performing a double exchange transfusion. What are the practical challenges that we face when arranging or preparing for a double exchange transfusion? And what should we be making the parents aware about the side effects or issues related with the exchange transfusion? Great. Thank you for that. So exchange blood transfusion in itself is a very complex um, procedure. First of all, we don't, thankfully, perform it a lot. 
um, because um, in general, jaundice is picked early, treatments are instituted early, um, there is the option of intensive treatment, and therefore we, we don't tend to do a lot of it. While that's good, what that means is that lots of clinicians haven't had a lot of exposure to the process in itself, and I am talking both about medical practitioners and nursing practitioners. And you do need um, quite a lot of skill on the path of both um, groups of practitioners to have a safe and effective exchange blood transfusion. Um, it's a blood transfusion. So in itself, it comes with all of the complications of transfusing blood. So from, you know, blood group incompatibilities to problems with um, the circulation in itself to problems with electrolyte derangements to problems with infection transmission. So all the problems that would naturally be associated with blood transfusion will be associated with exchange blood transfusion. Um, and, you know, it also involves things like um, temperature control, um, platelets, um, because you're going to essentially be exchanging this baby's blood twice. So you're, you're exchanging their blood volume twice. So it's very easy to deplete the platelets. It's very easy to deplete the clotting factors. Because when you take baby's blood out, what you return is essentially packed red blood cells. So you take blood that has plasma and all the factors out, and some of the um, electrolytes and the serum, all of that comes out, platelets, all of that comes out, and you return it with pure packed red blood cells, as it were. So you see that there is that you know, discrepancy in, in our replacement. So that's important to note and to check so that we can do the appropriate replacements and treatments of these other components, important components of blood. Then, you know, there is the practical aspect of the vascular access in itself. Um, the usual route is to use the umbilical artery and vein, um, and that would be the preference. And especially in babies at this age, that should be the preference because those are easily accessible. Of course, there are times when that doesn't work and you have to think about other vessels within the body from which um, you can exchange blood. And that would be peripheral arteries and central veins. Um, the other thing to think about is the mechanism of of um, exchanging blood in itself. So first of all, you've got to be sure that you've got compatible blood from the blood bank. And it's got to be special blood. Usually it's, you know, leukocyte depleted washed blood and all that. So you've got to be clear that you need to let the blood bank know very early that you are likely to exchange a baby so that they can make blood available for that baby. And they also need to be thinking about other components of blood that you may require, i.e. platelets and fresh frozen plasma. So they need to be thinking about that and making it available. Then you've got to think about the machine, you know, what you're going to use to exchange the blood. It needs to be a closed circuit. It needs to be aseptically done. The environment must be controlled. The practitioners must be available and prepared. And also, sometimes you need units called blood warmers that will keep the blood warm so that you don't, you know, deliver to this baby very cold blood, which in itself can trigger DIC. So, you know, a lot of considerations. It's not a, it's a complex procedure, but it's one that carefully done, 
um, can achieve good results. It has to be um, done as per protocol and every neonatal unit should have a protocol for how that is done. It is a protocol in this case because of all the multiple attendant um, risks that can occur during an exchange blood transfusion. Um, and during the process as well, there are lots of points where the protocol will stipulate checking the, the baby. So doing blood gases and things like that, just to check that, you know, you don't suddenly finish a, a procedure over a few hours and the baby doesn't have any calcium and things like that. So there are points where you do some blood checks for the baby. Um, the other thing is that you've got to maintain a completely ace septic environment because this is a very high risk for infection and contamination. Okay, thank you. So it means there's a lot to think about when we are starting to perform an exchange transfusion or even thinking about absolutely. the process itself. Absolutely. And there's a lot of discussions as well to be held with the parents about the procedure in itself. So, you know, they need to understand what you're doing and they need to know what the attendant risks are, as we've spoken about. But also they need to know that there is a background risk that this baby has, also, has already suffered some brain injury, some neurotoxicity, just by virtue of the high level of bilirubin in itself. So, you know, those are things to think about and to talk to parents through um, transparently about the potential, you know, of this sort of difficulties. They also need to know that for a period of time, the, the baby will not be accessible to them because during that procedure, everything's sterile. They can't come close. They can hold their baby. They're worried, but they can't even come close, you know. So those are important discussions to have with them. It's almost like if you're taking a baby to surgery, it's, you know, that's significant. Mm -hmm. And it's important that they understand all of those. When, when the procedure is done as well, you, you don't just go back to normal. These procedures are intensive care procedures. So the baby is on the intensive care unit. You have to stay for a while after the procedure is done. You have to check the levels again. Probably the central lines will still be in place. They need to know what that is and why it will stay in place for a bit longer. You know, you've got to think about their concern about feeding. For instance, you're not going to be feeding a baby who's going through this sort of procedure and for a few hours after that. So these are lots of considerations that need to be discussed with them so that they understand what you're trying to do. Okay. There is another question. Can phototherapy continue while we are doing the exchange transfusion? Absolutely. And yes, it should continue. Um, because remember what we said phototherapy does? It is working on the bilirubin molecules that are already within these skin and subcutaneous tissues. So that should continue because otherwise, um, you know, you would still have a lot of bilirubin that would simply just go back into circulation. So as much, you know, intensive phototherapy as it can continue at the time of, of exchange blood transfusion should be continued. Okay. Um, what about the follow-up of these children? If a, if a baby has crossed the exchange transfusion line on the treatment threshold graph and has received exchange transfusion, are they followed up for their neurodevelopmental outcome? Absolutely. So um, common complications of the procedure in itself, the, the exchange blood transfusion procedure in itself, dictates that we should follow up. And also complications of neurotoxicity dictates that we should follow up. Babies who've had this procedure can have embolization. 
um, they can have sudden shifts of blood. That might mean that they suffer ischemic episodes in their brain during this period of exchange. Although we try to avoid that by monitoring them very closely, ensuring that the blood pressure is maintained and doing the exchange as per protocol. So the protocol dictates how many meals per time and what cycle so that you don't suddenly cause big shifts of blood from the baby. But you know, it is an attendant risk and therefore you've got to monitor those babies after the procedure is done. Um, so these babies should essentially have um, neurological assessment um, you know, within the first few days of, of their procedure, but also they should have long-term neurodevelopmental follow-up for at least two years and in general up to four years. Um, you know, while while they they are within within our care. Lovely. Um, is there any role of IV immunoglobulins in treating high levels of jaundice? Yes. So um, evidence shows that IVIGs tend to reduce the need for exchange blood transfusion. So if you think about what I've just described, exchange blood transfusion is such a complex procedure that has lots of attendant risks. The IVIG tends to work best when you've got antibody-mediated hemolysis, because as you can imagine, it is trying to mop up the antibodies. So it does work and it is quite effective. And it is usually a stopgap for many babies that have a very high level of jaundice. It should never be the reason why we don't start preparing for an exchange blood transfusion if we think we're going to need one, because it takes a bit of time to set up an exchange blood transfusion if you look at what I've described. So IVIGs tend to be our stopgap and many times we use it and we then don't need to do an exchange. But we should not use it as a sole means of treatment without thinking what happens next. Um, many baby, We find that in many babies when we give IVIGs and we continue with the intensive phototherapy, we're able to drive down the bilirubin levels to such levels that we don't need exchange blood transfusions anymore. However, IVIGs also have their own risks and every unit should have their protocol for using IVIGs. That's another situation where it should be protocol guided and not just a guideline for the use of IVIGs. Um, I mean, in most places, it is an A rating when you need it for this sort of situation, purely because you're trying to avoid neurotoxicity. And, you know, most, most um, trusts will have a standard system for providing IVIGs for the care of these babies on a named baby basis and for monitoring its, its use and its outcome. Okay, thank you. Coming back to our baby, um, the healthy two-day-old term baby who is now three, three days old and has been on phototherapy, we repeated the levels of serum bilirubin and they are now 50 micromoles per liter below the treatment threshold line. So we are happy to stop the phototherapy. Absolutely. So guidance tells us that in general, when levels are 50 micromoles per liter below the phototherapy line, we can stop phototherapy and then monitor the baby. Monitoring involves repeating the serum bilirubin level and not 
um, transcutaneous bilinometer, but serum bilirubin level now. So blood test. We repeat that test six to eight hours. In some places, we'll say eight to 12, but in general, six to eight hours after we have stopped the phototherapy. Um, what we are trying to check is that the level is not rising um, to a certain extent that we think the baby will need treatment subsequently. It is not unusual, though, for the level to rise somewhat because if you think about the concept of um, blood breakdown and bilirubin within the baby's body, there is the possibility that there will be a rise in the level. However, the older the baby gets, the higher the threshold for treatment because the more mature the blood-brain barrier is. So in general, even if the level rises somewhat, as long as it is not close to the threshold at that age for that gestation on the treatment threshold graph, the baby will not need to have further treatment. But that's the sort of baby to keep an eye on because the risk is high that it might continue to rise and it might reach threshold level again. So that's the baby to keep an eye on, both visibly, because, you know, you can tell if the baby is looking more jaundiced than they were before, but also doing a blood test if you think you're concerned about what the level might be. Okay. Now, if the bilirubin levels, the rebound bilirubin levels have stayed below the treatment line and we are happy for the baby to be discharged home, what specific piece of information should be given to parents on this at the time of discharge? Wonderful. So the rebound level is exactly that. It is a reflection of what has happened following stopping phototherapy within a period of time. That does not mean that the baby's bilirubin level cannot rise higher. And that needs to be clear to parents because otherwise there is the temptation to think there was a condition, it has been treated, it is unlikely to be a problem afterwards. So it needs to be clear to the parents what we are trying to do by measuring that rebound level. And the other advice that is important is about feeding. There needs to be a very clear, pragmatic and sensible feeding plan so that we can ensure that the baby's enterohepatic circulation is optimum, the baby is not dehydrated. There are no other reasons that might um, aggravate the, the background physiologic jaundice in this baby. Um, the other advice to give is if parents think that the jaundice level has increased or they think that it is not clearing away, then they should ask their midwife or their health visitor to take a look. And that's really important because they can then request a blood test and check the levels. It is not um, rare that a baby who's been treated with phototherapy before needs to be treated with phototherapy again. So that needs to be clear to the parents. And of course, they should give you know whatever information they have. We should always send babies home with a discharge letter that tells what the circumstances were, why we treated, what we treated, any other things that we found, any blood test results that are important, so that that helps anybody who is going to see this baby later to make a decision about jaundice. Okay, thank you. And at the end of the neonatal jaundice session, I wanted to ask you one last question. I have heard that a few neonatal units in West Midlands have started home phototherapy service for some babies 
based on their inclusion criteria for home phototherapy and a concept this concept of home phototherapy is also popular in some other countries like USA what do you think of the service and what is the future of home phototherapy fantastic question so we actually very recently had a couple of papers published from one of the major centers in the west midlands um looking at their institution of the home phototherapy program and its success in carefully selected babies within a carefully monitored clinical package home phototherapy can be a very useful tool in treating jaundice while keeping babies with their parents at home one of the advantages is that it does not cause separation so bonding is maintained breastfeeding is maintained and that's really important um, and in general babies don't get exposed to com- um, to hospital acquired infections which are very easy to catch if you were on any of our wards so you know there is a lot to be said for the positive effects of treating jaundice at home and this is important when you also think about how common jaundice is lots of babies will have jaundice and therefore quite a significant number will need treatment and if we can avoid bringing them into hospital that would be fantastic but note that i said it has to be a carefully selected group of babies in a very carefully managed clinical setting so there needs to be very careful clinical supervision um many places use the services of um community nurses community neonatal nursing team and they have a clinician whether that's a doctor or a, an advanced practitioner who supervises the care of these babies to ensure that they are not sick babies they fit into their appropriate criteria and that they are monitored so that if things are not working it can be picked up early and the baby can be brought into hospital but yes i know that it has been very effective and i think it's got a really good future in the practice of you know newborn care in in the uk especially when you're thinking about community based care and the impact it can have on on babies and their families okay thank you so much this gives our listeners some thought process to plan a governance project in future if they wanted to in their own areas absolutely I would at this moment I would like to thank you Dr. Alayinka Kovabari um for giving us time for this podcast and I really really enjoyed and learned a lot from you today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That was such an informative podcast. Thank you to Mega and Alayinka for such excellent listening. Join us next week for more podcasts and follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore bites to keep updated with our goings on. Thank you for listening.